And now, as a forgiven and a beloved people, let us hear our gospel reading for today. We are still in Matthew. This one has to, Matthew has to be one of my favorite gospels because it's the, as I like to put it, the hangry human Jesus. Um, and so I really appreciate the Jesus that we encounter in the gospel of Matthew. So let us hear today our Easter Sunday reading. Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. Let us hear of the resurrection. And I'm reading from the Common English Bible translation, but I encourage you to follow along or to hear this in the biblical language that best connects you with God. So once again, Matthew 28, 1 through 10. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the tomb. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, for an angel from the Lord came down from heaven. Coming to the stone, he rolled it away and sat on it. Now his face was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. And the guards were so terrified of him that they shook with fear and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, don't be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here because he's been raised from the dead, just as he said. Come, see the place where they laid him. Now hurry, go and tell his disciples, he's been raised from the dead. He's going on ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. I've given the message to you. With great fear and excitement, the women hurried away from the tomb and ran to tell Jesus' disciples. But Jesus met them and greeted them. They came and they grabbed his feet and they worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers that I am going into Galilee and they will see me there. These are the lessons of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. (coughs) Excuse me. I got excited. Now, normally, I am one to pull at the text, to look at it in its historical context, to give us a framework for the wisdom then and then to examine it to find where it applies to us today. But I'm not going to do that today. Instead, I want to invite us to place ourselves in this moment. Because this is the moment. This, this is it. This is the moment that it all comes together. The scriptures, the prophecies, the promises, All of it. This is the moment. And here we are, 
at the tomb with the two Marys, Mary Magdalene and, I love it, how the other Mary. Like, come on. Earlier in Matthew, because I'm sure you all have read it, earlier in Matthew, she's described as Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. And according to Matthew 13, 55, two of Jesus's brothers are named James and Joseph. So in all likelihood, the other Mary is the mother of Jesus. So we have Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, at the tomb in which Jesus's body has been placed following his state execution. And that is when things go completely sideways, as if they haven't already. Now, the message translation of the same text we just heard paraphrases it this way. Suddenly, the earth reeled and rocked under their feet as God's angel came down from heaven, came right up to where they were standing, and he rolled back the stone and then sat on it. Now, how many of you are picturing a big round boulder? Okay. It wasn't a big round boulder. Uh, The tombs of the time had a round disc-shaped stone that was the size of the doorway and a little bit bigger. And you know the sliding doors that we have? how there's a track, they had a track. And so it was a big stone, bigger than a human, heavy, not easily moved on that track. So imagine what this must have looked like to see a single person just move this stone aside with a face like lightning. And then they say, do not be afraid. (laughs) Get right on that. Now, unlike the other gospel stories of Mark and Luke, the stone is not already rolled away when they arrive. Instead, there's that earthquake, followed by the descent of the angel from heaven, who then, in front of them, rolls away this huge stone. And Matthew doesn't say how the angel does it, but it happens. And then the angel nonchalantly sits on this huge stone and is all, well, he's not here. He told you so. And what I find interesting is that it's not just Mary and Mary who hears this, but also the Roman guards who are standing there transfixed and frozen in place. This resurrection is for everyone, not just the followers of Jesus. They were transfixed and frozen like we all would be, I imagine, if this was happening in front of us. And the Marys wasted no time leaving the tomb to give the disciples the message to go to Galilee where the risen Christ will meet them. Now remember, at the very beginning, this is the angel giving them instructions. It wasn't Christ himself. 
We don't know if the women went into the tomb. We don't know if they actually looked when the angel said look because the women didn't need proof. They knew the angel was right. And yet, even as they were on their way to tell the other disciples, Christ still appeared to them on the road with a casual, good morning. (laughs) And these women were overjoyed. And they greeted him so hard that he had to tell them to stop pulling at them, to pulling at his robes. He had to remind them, weren't you on your way to do something important? Don't you have a message to give? He reminded them that they needed to get out of their feelings. They needed to get moving if they wanted to meet Christ in Galilee like he said they would meet them. And so they picked up where they left off. They continued on down the road to wherever the other disciples were. And thank God for the women because they gave them the good news that Jesus has risen. And that brings us to now. Here in the 21st century and us looking back on the story we know so well, we can imagine the joy of that first Easter because we come to this moment of resurrection with ideas already in our heads, presuppositions of what had happened, all of which affect how we today encounter the risen Christ. But why? Why do we do this? title of the sermon is, He is Risen! Again. Why is this an important moment? I wanted to name this sermon, Why Easter? Why do we celebrate Easter? Other than because we've always done it. Other than, it's what church people do. What is it about this day, this moment that calls to us through the ages and invites us year after year to participate in remembering the life and death and resurrection of the human one called Jesus. What is it? Why do we do this? Why Easter? What does it all mean in the grand scheme of things? Why is a first century resurrection story still being talked about over 2,000 years later? What is it about this miracle that it should still hold relevance in our lifetime when so often in our world, miracles are ranked up there with fairy tales? Why does it matter? Why Easter? Because its message of transformation and healing and resurrection is just as powerful now as it was in first century Palestine. Truth be told, it is exactly the message we need to hear today, all of us. And I would argue that we need it now more than ever. Now, many of us come into Easter with, as I mentioned before, a set of expectations as to how the story plays out. Whether you grew up in church or not, even folks with the most marginal experience with Christianity know the story of Easter. Now, I've been reading a lot of Marcus Borg and Dominic Crossan, so you can blame them for this. 
They are two modern-day theologians who have greatly influenced my own beliefs, my own understandings of scripture. And they refer to this interaction with Easter, this, this attachment to Easter, even in the secular world, as a pre-understanding. Even in this secular, non-church-centered society that we find ourselves in now, almost everyone can tell you about Christmas, Good Friday, and Easter. And this pre-knowing comes from observing customs, comes from coming to church with your friends and hearing our hymns, which, by the way, if you don't speak Methodist, uh, if you want to know what we believe, read our hymnal. It comes from our liturgies, the sacred writings. It comes from preaching and teaching. It is, in fact, this pre-knowing of Easter a mashup of all the Gospels and all the holidays we still observe as a holiday. And this mashup often comes with consequences. This is especially true today when so much of what we believe to be true has to be empirically proven. You have to be able to recreate it or it needs to be historically accurate or it needs to be a scientific fact in order for it to be true. And so that's why I say it can be really difficult for us in 2023 to discern what is the relevance of this first century resurrection story. It can be really difficult for us in 2023 to fully buy into this Christianity stuff outside of attending services weekly because that's what we do. It can be really difficult to explain why Easter, especially when the miracle you have to buy into is one of resurrection after death. But so much of this pre-knowledge comes without depth or true effort to understand that miracle. Whatever it was that happened in that tomb so long ago. So why Easter? Why now? Because as Borg and Crossan so eloquently state in their book the last week, Jesus did not die for the sins of the world. I see some eyebrows. Let me repeat that. Jesus did not die for the sins of the world. You individually are in no way responsible for the death of Jesus. Nor should you feel compelled to be good or to suffer injustice on behalf of Christ, on behalf of anything you may have been told you've ever done that was bad. Because the resurrection is proof that nothing can separate us from God's love. Jesus did not die for the sins of the world. Jesus died because of the sin of the world. Amen. Now, how is that possible? And where is the good news in that? We need to understand sin as an active 
turning away from God's love. It is not a breaking of one of ten rules. It is an active participation in behaviors and systems that create a breakdown of relationships. A breakdown of relationships between people, between people and creation, and between people and God. And so when I say that Jesus died because of the brokenness, because of the breakdown of the world, I say that because Jesus died because of a world that is steeped in the love of power and privilege. One that is, is and was so broken that it could not handle his message of love and worth and transformation, and so the world tried to kill it. He was killed because power and privilege mattered more to the empire than human dignity. He was killed because the suffering of another human is easy to stomach when we buy into the rhetoric of leaders who encourage us to identify, quote, those people as others. He was killed because people were scared and felt powerless against something, the Roman Empire, something so huge that it felt like it ruled their lives that it stripped them of their sacred worth. And truth be told, that first century mindset isn't so far off from our current state of affairs. Amen? Amen. And for that reason, we celebrate Easter. For that reason, we remember and celebrate Easter and resurrection. And this is the 21st century. Why Easter, y'all? The resurrection of Jesus is the ultimate triumph over oppression. And when we remember that, when we come together to proclaim the faith of a brown-skinned Palestinian migrant itinerant preacher, one who preached liberation and love and reconciliation, Easter becomes a celebration, a reminder, a reminder for us today in this place that our call as Christians is to live into that same message, that same message of liberation, of love, of reconciliation. You see, the resurrection of Jesus is a radical act of love in the face of hate. It is a radical act of love, radical, extravagant love in the face of oppression. It is a proclamation that the empire does not have the final say. A proclamation that political, economic, social structures cannot and will not dictate your worthiness in the eyes of God. That God has defeated the seemingly insurmountable pressures of our material world, of the powers of oppression and domination, and we are invited to do the same. To do the same in our time, in our history, in the name of Christ, who has shown us a new way to move through the world. A way 
that is characterized by love of neighbor, a way that is characterized by doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly, a way that is characterized with equality and freedom in the face of everything the world tries to tell us we're not. Christ resurrected is the ultimate victory. Not just those who roam marginalized and oppressed, but for us as well. Jesus was himself a victim of political and social oppression. His resurrection is a symbol of hope for all who suffer under similar conditions. But what about us? What about us? Many of us who enjoy privilege and power, even when we don't feel like we do, this message is for us as well. Now I hear the pushback. We can't possibly be in true solidarity with the have-nots, because we're not them. We know freedom. We have liberation. But do we? Do we? Really? How often do we feel trapped in the confines of what society tells us is appropriate? How often are we shackled by respectability politics? How often do we blissfully go about our days moving through life with no real intention because we have it all. And yet, we still feel restless. We still feel like something's missing. How often do we feel dead inside, especially when we read and hear about acts of violence, both physical and, yes, as Mix Jackie pointed out legislative violence. And how often do we just think, eh, it's not happening here. Why should I be worried? What can I do? The truth is, this resurrection message is for us as well, because we are often poor in spirit, poor in connection, poor in relationships with ourselves, with others, with God. And that is why I say that this is a moment of resurrection and liberation from oppression for us, too. No matter what the world tells us, the resurrection of Christ matters because it is God's love on display. A love that can heal any wound, that can bind any bone, that can soothe any spirit, a love that can bring back to life the things we thought were long gone, a love that can appear even in the midst of grief and give hope, a love that is dependent on nothing but your desire to know God and to spread God's love to others 
a love that reminds all of us that death is not the final answer, that love and light are still alive in the world, and that resurrection is possible no matter the circumstances we find ourselves in. So why Easter? Because in the resurrection, we find a powerful symbol of liberation and hope. In the resurrection, we experience God's declaration of the value and dignity of human life. And in the resurrection, we hear the call to Christians everywhere to come alive and to work toward a world where all of God's children know their value. Christ is risen, risen indeed. Amen. Amen.